Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. I'm your host, Mike Driscoll, and today I have a very special guest, Mizra, who has a YouTube channel and usually talks about machine learning and topics in that nature. Welcome to the show, Mizra. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I usually like to begin our show by asking my guests um, to tell a little bit about themselves and your journey into programming. Of course. Uh, so I'll just start with where I am right now. Uh, I work as a developer educator at Assembly AI, which involves mm-hmm. making content on deep learning, AI, uh, and any topic that is related to that. So this could be coding tutorials. This could be uh, talking about the latest topics or a latest model that came out. Uh, and on top of that, I also have my own business, uh, again, kind of attached to my own YouTube channel uh, under my own name. And there I teach more uh, data science things and more data science tutorials. And how I ended up in that position was uh, I was working as a data scientist uh, at a big firm as a consultant also. Mm -hmm. And after a while, we started taking some projects where we were um, teaching data science. And I realized that I actually really like teaching data science. And uh, kind of one thing led to another. I started making some online tutorials and... uh, Yeah, over time, I started making them into YouTube videos. I also had a little podcast, and I ended up where I am today. What made you decide to go into data science versus, you know, some other tech field? Yeah, that was a tricky choice, actually. When I was studying computer science back in college, it was not very clear to me what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't particularly want to be a programmer, Uh, Mm -hmm. or a software developer. So uh, I was exploring some different options and I took this artificial intelligence course and I really loved the professor. Uh, And we also did some good projects together and I realized, hey, this, you know, this field has a lot of future. And around that time, data science, big data, data analysis was starting to kind of hyped up, starting to be hyped up. Mm -hmm. And that's why I decided to do my master's in big data. And that's how I got into it. Nice. Yeah, I think I kind of missed out. I missed out on the boat because I don't think they were talking about AI when I was in school. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous of you young folk. Yeah, yeah, it was just starting, luckily. I caught it in the beginning. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, how did you guys get How did you get into Python? I, mean, I know a lot of data science is done in R and sometimes Java. So yeah. why, why Python? Well, actually, my first language I learned uh, was C++, so something completely unrelated. And then I mm-hmm. learned Java, you know, because of um, some assignments that we had at school. And But for this artificial intelligence course that I just mentioned, we had to learn Python. And I remember feeling super scared because all of the other uh, programming languages we learned uh, through a class. So they would at least mm-hmm. give a couple of le- weeks of instruction about the language itself. And this time the professor was like, okay, here's your assignment and use Python to do it. And I was like, wow, I don't know this language. And yeah, I worked on it for a bit and I realized it's actually very easy, especially if you know a language that's maybe a bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was the beginning. And I realized that after that, there is no reason for me to use any other language (laughs) from that point on, because it's just so pleasant to use Python. Yeah, I realized that too. But I, I, my, my journey was more, 
you have to learn Python on the job. I wish I'd learned it in university. That would have been fun. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's a bit more higher stakes when you're doing it at the job. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, great. Now I got to learn a new language and not get fired. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so um, what are some of the machine learning applications that you find most exciting right now? Um, when I first started, I think the thing that was the most interesting to me uh, was the recommender systems. So I thought it was really fascinating that, you know, we are all individuals, but at the end of the day, you can kind of bring groups of people together or analyze groups of people together that have similar interests and mm -hmm. in turn recommend them things that they might be interested in that they didn't even know. Uh, that was kind of the first thing that hooked me. Um, but recently I'm really excited about when you look at the recent recent developments, um, kind of generative AI, but not generative AI in a standalone way. I'm excited for its potential to support humans to do their jobs, and especially in creative fields. So, for example, okay. this could be art. Um, this could be maybe even movie making or even coding. The fact that we can get AI to do the simplest tasks get a machine learning model to do the simplest task or the most tedious tasks so we can work on more creative parts of the mm -hmm. problem, I think is very exciting. So I think I know what generative AI is, but maybe you could explain that for people who don't know what that is. Of course. So generative AI is basically a new field, uh, mostly under the umbrella of deep learning, where a model is able to create quote-unquote novel uh, information or data in a way. Mm. So this could be uh, images, this could be text, or this could be code snippets. Uh, so for example, maybe you can you describe what kind of code, what kind of um, function you want there to happen. And you can say, mm -hmm. I want a function that loops through a list and then finds the smallest item in the list and returns the index of that smallest item. And instead of coding it yourself, then this generative AI model will be able to write that maybe four or five lines of code for you. Um, okay. So then you will be skipping um, that part of the tedious part of doing the work. Okay, cool. That's, that's pretty much what I was thinking, but I wanted to make yeah. sure that everyone else was on the same wavelength as we are. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings us to my next question, um, because I believe this is related, like Chat GPT and mm -hmm. Google Google Bard. How do you see uh, AI changing your approach to creating content? Can it just do it for you, so to speak? Yeah, I think definitely to a certain extent. Um, you know, there we have we are creating a lot of content, right? When you look at it, there are TikTok videos, Instagram videos, a lot of YouTube videos, mm -hmm. uh, also blog posts. Twitter, people are creating threads and now sometimes even long format text and little blogs. And most of them are not even very, how to say, not very novel, right? We get a lot of like 10 things I would do if I was this or five things you need to know, but they are not actually adding a lot of value. And when you look at the content creation industry, it's mostly for marketing purposes. So there is a brand, mm -hmm. uh, they want to be more well-known. And what they do is they start generating blog posts. They start trying to rank on Google, for example, or they yeah. start um, making maybe low quality YouTube videos. And I think ChatGPT and similar generative AI, again, models can be helpful in creating content like that. 
I think like very helpful. Maybe they'll do like 50% mm-hmm. of the work. You can actually ask ChatGPT, hey, create a article for me. This is the line of my business and create an article that has like 10 points, for example. And those yeah. things do well SEO wise. So I think that would definitely be helpful. But I think in terms of creating content that is truly valuable and adds a new perspective to the world, Mm-hmm. We might not be able to see that much. We might not be able to get that much help from um, ChatGPT or similar models. Okay, I can see that. And I keep seeing though on Twitter, and I know I know it's just these the the AI people who who've suddenly cropped up, but they're like content creators are gonna gonna go away, you know, in the, this year because yeah, now 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 ChatGPT can create videos. Yeah, and I'm like. Is that really true? I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, think, I mean, maybe we will end up in a point in the future where it can truly do everything. Uh, and yeah, maybe we won't need content creators anymore. But I would assume that is going to be at least another 30 years <laughs> or so. Yeah. Because we, you still need the human creativity in there is my... Yeah, opinion. that's kind of my feeling too. I'm like, you still have to have someone prompt it. And even then, the output that I've seen so far has not been that great. So. No, exactly. And it, it's just actually the output is just a mashup of all the input that it's been given. So mm-hmm. you created all the blog posts that has ever been written, maybe on the internet, and it just mashes them up and then realizes what the patterns are and then gives you something. But th- that would also end. If you never create something new, if you say, okay, we don't need content creators anymore, that model is just going to keep creating the same thing over and over and over again yeah. with a very similar language. So yeah, at the end of the day, you still need the new creative power from humans. That's very true. So, I mean, this is kind of related, but are you using AI yourself to help with your content creation? Uh, Sometimes, yeah, I do actually use it, um, especially if I am having like a little writer's or YouTuber's block and I cannot Mm -hmm. think of an idea uh, to make a YouTube video about or, you know, if I want to write some tweets and I'm struggling with like, oh, what might be interesting to people. Uh, It's kind of like a nice little... um, summary even like kind of like an analytics tool because you know it hasn't fed all the past tweets and everything that's been out there and Mm -hmm. just kind of shows you what kind of language would be um what kind of language would be perceived well by people or what kind of ideas like you could tell it hey give me 10 ideas i'm a data science youtuber give me 10 ideas for titles of viral videos and maybe you will not use a single video idea that it gave you but maybe you will combine a couple uh, points and then make up your own idea or just maybe let it inspire you in a way. So that's how mm-hmm. I, I've been using it so far. Yeah, I've I've used it similarly for like uh, Pandas. I'm not, I'm not very good at Pandas yet, which is a Python package for those of you who don't know, but <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not good at it. So I asked it, you know, what, give me, give me like 10 tweets on that topic and then I can go research the code uh-huh. that it generates, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's very helpful and there are many, that's a very creative use actually. And I think there are many creative ways of using it that maybe we haven't realized yet. Yeah, I think the thing that I want to warn uh, listeners of though is sometimes the content it gives you, especially code, doesn't work. So mm-hmm. make sure you test the code before you go posting it because <laughs> you'll get called out on it if you post a bunch of broken code. Exactly. Um, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> 
a lot of people will say you can create a working website with ChatGPT, but I, I'm not sure I'm convinced because I've, I've asked to do really simple things. Yeah, yeah, I highly doubt that. <laughs> anyway, um, do you think AI will reduce the need for like writing courses or books, et cetera? Um, I don't think so because so far, like I said, what it's creating is very superficial even though mm -hmm. it is very impressive how it can create actual full sentences that make sense, even paragraphs of text that has a nice flow and you can read it and make sense and everything. Uh, at the end of the day, it is kind of like a cloning device. It's like a very, it's a smart cloning device. It cannot create its own ideas. So I think it could be a good starting position when you want to learn something new, but mm -hmm. I don't think we can rely on AI only uh, for now, at least, uh, to learn something from scratch. Because, you know, books and a school or courses, online courses are yeah. created by people to kind of teach you something systematically. So you know there is not going to be any gaps. You know you're going to get the most important information. Yes, from mm -hmm. instructor to instructor, it can change what they covered. The scope might be different, but at the end of the day, at least, you know you're going to get what you're promised. But I think with an AI tool, at the end of the day, these tools are statistical tools and they're never going to be 100% correct. So there mm -hmm. is no guarantee that the information you're getting is comprehensive or complete. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think, I think especially from a beginner's perspective, uh, you don't know what questions to ask even Google. How are you going to ask AI? You know, Definitely. what's what's the next topic that I need to learn about after I learn the basic syntax? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Not even every book teaches you that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely it's definitely tricky, um, but it's a good good starting point. If you don't know anything about a topic, it, I think it could be interesting to just ask ChatGPT, "Hey, I want to learn about React programming language." Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are the key topics that I need to master? And then maybe I'll give you a list that'll be a starting point for you. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. I, I need to try the internet version of GPT and see if it can, see what it can give me. Because I'd be kind of curious to see like, what are the top, what are what, do, what does ChatGPT think are the top 10 Python books mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. the top 10 C++ yeah. books? It'd be interesting to see. Does yeah. that line up with what Amazon says are the top 10 selling yeah. ones? Exactly. And what people should also remember, though, and keep in mind that uh, when these models were last updated, because I think the public version of mm -hmm. ChatGPT has a cutoff point around 2021, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if you pay for it, the paid version has data from more recent years. Mm -hmm. But if you use the free version, the list of books you will get will be kind of outdated. Yes. Yeah, I, I was specifically referring to the version that allows... ChatGPT to access the internet. So I'm mm. just curious what it will be able to do. Oh, I don't think I've heard about that one. So it has direct access to internet, so the current data, the latest yeah, data. I think it's a beta, a beta feature in ChatGPT four, I believe. All right, that sounds interesting. You have to, you have to specifically enable it. But nice. I haven't, I haven't played with it at all. So uh -huh. sounds cool. It does. I need to, I need to try it. <laughs> <laughs> But let us know. <laughs> yeah, I will. So um, let's see. Where was I? Um, do, so do, you, do you believe that software developers would need to go back to school if they wanted to transi transition to data science? 
Um, my initial reaction would be no. Um, okay. When I look at my personal experience, I also studied to like my to become a software engineer. You know, at school mm-hmm. in my bachelor's, they mainly trained us to be software engineers, and I did take some lessons. Uh, during my master's under the big data engineering uh, umbrella about data science, but mm-hmm. it was not actually as machine learning statistics or AI oriented as I expected it to be. So at the end, I ended up still learning a lot about engineering, dealing with big data sets and databases, okay. etc. And my transition to data science happened more organically when I started my internship Um hmm. And during the internship, I told my supervisors that I wanted to do data science projects. And that's kind of how I got into it. So I just kind of took online courses. I talked yeah. to them. They helped me. And honestly, even after <laughs> I started working as a data scientist, I I would not have called myself a data scientist looking back. And I kind of mm-hmm. learned at the job. Uh, and that's why that kind of leads me to believe that you don't actually need, especially if you're a software engineer, you don't actually need that extra schooling or at least formal education to become a data scientist mm-hmm. uh, because you have the coding, you have the coding skills, which are like one of the most important skills to have. And the next mm-hmm. thing is that mindset shift of changing from programming um, a piece of software and you know how it's going to run and then you press run and yeah, maybe there might be some bugs, but you designed the whole thing, then shifting to this other perspective or the mindset where you write a piece of code, but that's not it. You also need to feed it the data. And mm. the thing that comes out of it is not something that is going to work 100% of the time. So once you can mm-hmm. do that mindset shift, luckily maybe with some YouTube videos, online courses, etc., cetera, uh, I think you'll be good to go. So I think it's it's very mm. possible to do the shift from software engineer to data science um quite casually maybe on the job or maybe by taking a couple of months uh, of doing some data science projects yourself yeah that was always my feeling on the topic but i always seem to get a lot of pushback when i post questions like that you know mm. on social media they're like oh no you have to go go get a degree in that and i'm like i'm pretty sure i don't but... yeah yeah no <laughs> I, i don't think so either i mean i understand why people think so Definitely. I think so. I, when I talk to my students about this, uh, what I tell them is it really depends on what you see yourself doing. If you see yourself as someone who is working at a research lab and help create new machine learning algorithms, a new mm-hmm. model, then yes, you probably need the formal education. You need the PhD and you need extreme mathematical understanding of what's mm-hmm. happening everywhere. Well, that's a different Uh, line of work but if you're mainly work thinking of da- being a data analyst or data scientist or maybe even a machine learning engineer then i think the education you can get yourself with the resources that are out there today would be enough yeah exactly that that's what my impression has been and the people i've talked to have also said that unless you're designing your own algorithms mm-hmm. or fixing or enhancing a current algorithm you don't need all that extra math No, you really don't. <laughs> it's it's kind of, you know, it's, ex- <laughs> it's exciting to learn that math. Uh, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of a shame that you don't need it day to day. Uh, but yeah, that's the reality of it. You really don't. Yeah, I mean, heck, I, I don't even need a lot of the calculus I learned in college or the statistics. No. You know, no. I, no. I liked learning it at the time, but yeah. <laughs> I don't need it. It's Definitely. funny. I mean, maybe we, we needed it, but because we already had this knowledge, it made our lives easier on some Perhaps. topics 
and we didn't even realize it. You know, I think someone who comes from a completely non-technical background who has not studied mm-hmm. math at all w- would have a harder time. So yeah, I think I think the mathematical topics because they're abstract, they help you get ready for the mm-hmm. abstractness of engineering. Definitely, definitely agree. So let's see, and, and I think the other thing that I found helpful with mathematics is you kind of see how the computer thinks from a mathematical perspective as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, exactly. And, that's that's yeah. very interesting. That also, I think, helps you understand computers a little bit better and programming a little bit better. Yeah, those are all just tiny mindset shifts, I think, along the mm-hmm. way that help you end up at a point where you can become a good programmer. Yeah, I'll mention this. I mentioned it in the past too, but when I was learning programming, I didn't get it for like my first my first like two years of my computer programming yeah. uh, training at university. I'm like, I've memorized everything. I'm a, I'm a grade A student, but I don't understand <laughs> what I'm doing. Yeah. And then, then the third year, it finally clicked. And I'm uh-huh. like, now I know what's going on. It's kind of like the matrix, you know? It's like, yeah. ah, I get it. <laughs> no, definitely. I also felt that at times. So yeah, if, if anyone is feeling frustrated, it gets better. You just have to keep practicing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. So I think we're getting close to the end. Let's uh, ask my final question. Uh, what topics in data science do you find are the hardest to teach uh, to your students? Uh, kind of similar to what we talked about, actually. So far, what I've seen that people struggle with the most from the feedback that I get is the methodology of data science, especially if you're switching from mm-hmm. a career to data science. Um, you know, data science is generally quite methodological. Methodological, is that the right word? <laughs> there yes. is a methodology to it. Um, and it has certain steps that you need to follow. And even though it's quite flexible, there are still some steps that needs to happen one after another. For example, you get the data, you need to do some data understanding, you need to do some data cleaning, some exploration. And these things kind of happen one after another, but one can come before the other, or maybe you do some data cleaning, realize some other problems, do a bit more exploring. So these steps, even though it makes sense on a paper, when you start doing it for a real life data set, it gets really complicated and it gets really messy. And that has been the hardest thing I've seen people struggle with. And also it has been the hardest thing to kind of get across. I think mm-hmm. mainly because it comes with experience too. Like there is part of this job that you just expose yourself to it and you struggle. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of like, you know, you search for bugs for so many years and you start getting, you, you get better at finding those bugs. Kind of like that. You need to struggle with the real life data, which is messy and uh, hard to work with. And then you mm-hmm. get better at it over time. And that's why it is harder to teach that one-on-one from a teacher-student perspective. But it's more like I need to give you enough motivation to keep doing it so that you can learn it yourself. Yep, that makes sense. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a part of our show today, Mizra. It was great to meet you and yeah. have you on the show. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. and. To all of our listeners out there, I hope you all uh, check out Mizra's content. She's got a lot of great content on YouTube. And I believe you have a website too, don't you? Yes, Mizra.com, where you can find a bit more free resources on Python. Uh, not Python, sorry, Pandas, so more data science related. Mm-hmm. Also some deep learning stuff. 
And also I have a course on data science for people who are just starting data science called Hands-On Data Science. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check out her content. It looks amazing. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll talk to you another time, perhaps. In the meantime, I'm going to sign off. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you. Yeah. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. 